Hey guys, welcome to the show today. We have a very special, exciting, and frankly, completely unique episode for you today. You're not going to want to miss it, so stay tuned. But before I get to that, I want to encourage you guys to give the show a rating and review. If you enjoy the show, if you benefited from this at all, would you let us know what you think? Just type in a quick rating, uh, hit the five stars, um, and that really actually helps drive the podcast up the charts. And you know what? We're living in a time where people are seeking answers to some of life's most fundamental human questions, uh, unlike maybe any other time in my life. The political division in our country is driving people to return to those things we used to know, those fundamental human questions and answers. And of course, I would submit to you that we're only in much of the predicament that we're in in our country because we have abandoned that first and most important of all natural rights life and denied them to over 63 million children since 1973. And we have been numbed to evil. And now that evil is starting to come home to roost and our own rights are starting to be taken away as well. And so people are seeking clarity with Texas banning abortions when there's a detectable heartbeat, with the Supreme Court getting ready to hear Dobbs, a case they could overturn Roe versus Wade in December. People are seeking clarity. And that's what we seek to provide on this podcast. Your help in sharing it, giving us a rating and review helps us reach more people to provide that truth once again. This episode today is called I Survived Sanger. This is a special three-part film from Love Life. You know all about Love Life, where I'm an ambassador and help start Love Life church chapters all across California in the Love Life California conference coming up in January that we told you about to take back life in California. Well, they produced a three-part film called I Survived Sanger, What Margaret Wanted to Eliminate, We're Gonna Celebrate. And they invited me to be a part of the forum discussion portion of this three-part film, telling the story of the evil, evil woman, Margaret Sanger, and how her vision is still alive and well today. And we have people on this panel that, frankly, Margaret hated and wanted to eliminate. We celebrate their lives. We discuss the history of her ideas, how they're impacting our country today, and how the church can wake up and begin to stand against the culture of death so people stop running to Margaret Sanger centers and start running to the church of Jesus Christ. Buckle up. You are going to enjoy this episode. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unavoidable. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking this time to join us on this very important night. Uh, tonight is about exposing the deeds of darkness that began about 100 years ago with Margaret Sanger in New York City at the Plaza Hotel on November the 11th through the 13th, 1921, when she met with leaders there at the Plaza Hotel in New York City to cast a vision for a culture of death. My name is Justin Reeder. I'm the founder of Love Life. I'm a follower of Jesus, first and foremost. I'm a businessman. I've been in business for 16 years, but I got exposed to this issue when other businessmen invited me out to our local abortion center to expose me to the reality of what's happening in our backyard, just as we want to expose you tonight to the reality of what's happening across America and even globally. When I came face to face with that reality, I had to ask myself, what will I do? And I'm gonna ask you that at the end of tonight, but I can no longer just go on with my normal, normal life. I've been doing business with a company right across the street from the abortion clinic for almost 10 years and didn't know anything about this reality in my city. And I'm thankful to the Lord that he gave us a vision 
to see the church of Jesus Christ mobilized to create a culture of love and life that would result to an end to abortion and the orphan crisis. I'm joined by an amazing group of panelists. These are pro-life heroes. Uh, These are true followers of King Jesus here before you. I'm truly honored that I get to be here with you guys tonight, traveling from New York City, traveling from California, and all across the Carolinas as well. Thank you for your willingness to follow Jesus at whatever the cost. We're gonna go down the line. I want you to know who is here with us tonight. We're gonna start with Daniel Ritchie, all the way way here at the very end. Daniel is a speaker, an author, a pro-life advocate from Raleigh, North Carolina. He's a husband to Heather and the father of two children. Daniel, thanks for being here tonight, man. Absolutely, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, next we have Veronica. Miss Veronica Carr, who's newly married, Veronica is a missionary with Love Life serving here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you're gonna get to hear more of her story later on tonight. Veronica, thanks for being here. We have Pastor John Amachuku right here next to me. Uh, John is a Love Life ambassador and a national spokesperson with Love Life. He's also the first assistant to Bishop Wooden at Upper Room Church of God in Christ. He is the father, or he is the husband to Crystal and the father of four children. And again, you will get to hear from John later tonight as well. Uh, I'm gonna jump to Miss Lisa Washington sitting right here next to me. Lisa is our Love Life New York City director. She was with us from the very beginning of when we launched Love Life in New York City. She has a powerful testimony that you guys will get to hear tonight as well. Next to her, we have Seth Gruber, who's a national pro-life speaker. Uh, he is also the host of the Unaborted podcast. And this guy is... Uh, setting bushfires across the nation as he travels and speaks at churches about the issue of life and calling the church to action all the way from Southern California. Thank you, Seth, for being here. Next, we have Marco Santiago. Marco is the writer and the director of the Sanger Film Project that you guys are gonna be watching later this evening with us. He is also the creative arts director for the church in New York City. He is newly married to Angie Santiago as well. Man, thank you so much for being here. Incredible gift and talent that you're gonna see that he poured into making of these films. It's a three-part film series that you are gonna see tonight. Video one that we are about to show you is taking place in front of the Plaza Hotel in New York City, where this all started 100 years ago, again in 1921, where Sanger stood in front of that place or had a meeting in that building over three days, casting her vision for a culture of death in our city. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Sanger believed that children were a burden, but God says that children are a blessing. I want us to roll this video as you can hear it from Sanger herself in her own words, of the vision of, of, the, of a culture of death in our nation.
I note that you doubt it worthwhile to employ a full-time Negro physician. It seems to me, from, from my experience where I have been in North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas, that while the colored Negroes have great respect for the white doctors, they can get closer to their own members and more or less lay their cards on the table, which means their ignorance, superstitions, and doubts. They do not do this with the white people. And if we can train the Negro doctor at the clinic, he can go among them with enthusiasm and with knowledge, which I believe will have far-reaching results among the colored people. His work, in my opinion, should be entirely with the Negro profession and the nurses, hospital, social workers, as well as the county's white doctors. His success will depend upon his personality and his training by us. We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Sincerely yours, Margaret Sanger. That's Margaret Sanger, born in 1879 and died in 1966. Although she is a heroine to some, she's remembered as a devil by others. She is most notably remembered as the controversial founder of the Birth Control League, which we now call Planned Parenthood. It was her efforts that brought about her vision for a culture of death in our country. She's standing in front of the Plaza Hotel in New York City, where years ago, in 1921, a three-day conference was held with scientists, leaders, doctors, and researchers to discuss birth control, and history was made. Here at the world-renowned Plaza Hotel, historic steps were taken to birth what we now call Planned Parenthood, and the door to America killing millions of babies was opened. But have you ever wondered who was the woman who founded what we now call Planned Parenthood? Who was the woman behind the face of our modern-day abortion movement? Who was the woman who met with the wives of Ku Klux Klan members and propagated white supremacy? who was a woman who was close friends with Nazi advisors. The Nazi regime itself admired her views on eugenics and sterilization. Do Americans truly know that through Planned Parenthood and organizations like it, they are helping to support her deadly views on abortion, population control, sterilization, prejudice, and eugenics? Darkness can only thrive where there is no light. So, let us shine light on Planned Parenthood and expose why they were founded and what their purpose is. What is the plan behind Planned Parenthood? Is it just coincidence that they have clinics in poverty-stricken neighborhoods that are predominantly of black and brown people? If Margaret Sanger were alive today, what would she have to say about modern-day birth control methods? Is her legacy still alive? Would you look at this? It's still here. After all these years and so much has changed, it's still here. I was fighting for a better nation and the banishment of, of disease and misery, poverty, delinquency and crime. If we wish for our civilization to survive, we must eradicate these evils. 
even now we are confronted with the fact that that poverty and large families go hand in hand. I am living proof of that. My parents had 11 of us. Did you know that my mother died because of my father? She was trapped and weak. I'll never regret what I said at my mother's funeral. Looking over her coffin, I looked right at him and I said, mother is dead because of having too many children. Had she not had so many children, she would have been healthier and wouldn't have died from tuberculosis. She is one of thousands, if not millions, of women whose blood demands justice. And, and I said that I would fight for them. And that's what I did. You're probably wondering who I was writing my letter to earlier. I was writing to help Dr. Gamble get over his hesitancy in hiring a black doctor. Because, let's face it, the black doctor is the one who can best communicate with the black community. And a black woman is, is more likely to trust a black doctor than she is a white doctor. But, and I stress but, the key is to educate the black doctor in what my Planned Parenthood believes in. Contraceptives and safe abortions for women, when needed, are key to what my Planned Parenthood believes in. I believe that birth control is nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit, of preventing the birth of defectives, or of those who will become defectives. Who are the unfit? The mentally unstable. Children with disabilities, children with Down syndrome, anyone with a defect. We see them more in poverty-stricken areas and we need to stop them from procreating or having any more children that carry that defective DNA gene. All women need birth control assistance to weed out these unfortunates. And it's my Negro project that will help offer the birth control that these colored women need who don't have access to the essential birth control methods such as abortion. By weeding out the unfit, we can prevent more defectives from being born. Remember, fit people give birth to fit people, and unfit people give birth to unfit people. Don't look at me like that. I'm just saying what everyone else is thinking. And instead of sitting around talking about it, I'm actually doing something about it. And what are you doing? That's right. Nothing. Brothers and sisters, you just heard it from Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, herself in her own words. Ephesians 5.11 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather to expose them. We want to expose those roots tonight. I want to read one quote that you just heard there, and then I want to go to Pastor John and, 
and get your comments on this, brother. Uh, she said, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten that idea out if it ever comes, to, if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Can you speak to that as being a pastor? Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Matthew 13 and 25 says, while men slept, the enemy came in and sowed tares amongst the wheat, mm. right? We live in a society today where everyone's talking about being woke, right? right? Knowing what's going on, having your finger on the pulse of the culture. But what I see oftentimes amongst black leaders and in particular in the black church is that we are not woke, we mm. are asleep. Yeah. And while we are sleeping, the enemy has crept in and really turned the culture on its head. Let me say this about Margaret Sanger. She wanted to exterminate the black race, all right? Mm -hmm. And right. she did not want the word to get out. Yeah. But the word is out. That's right. And what is the black church doing about this information? Mm. By and large, on Sunday mornings, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, throughout the course of the week, you'll be hard-pressed to find a black preacher who's willing to speak up and talk about this issue. They won't even touch it with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. The end of an ACP, mm -hmm. which was set forth for the advancement mm -hmm. of colored people, they won't touch it. Mm -hmm. When you look at many of your black actors, many of your uh, black civil rights leaders, all right, mm -hmm. like Jesse Jackson, who in the 1980s called abortion black genocide. But today, he has he switched, right? He flipped, he sold out on the community, and he wanted to run for president, so therefore he wanted political power, he needed support from uh, white liberals, so therefore he sold out his own race, and he won't even talk about the issue of abortion. I despise the narrative in this culture as it relates to how they feel and think about the black community. White liberals don't know what's best for the black community. Mm. I believe that black people can think for ourselves. That's right. I believe this, that President Joe Biden got it wrong, although he received nearly 90% of black support. Mm. He got it wrong when he said that all black people were monolithic in comparison to Hispanics. Mm. I'm black. Mm -hmm. Lisa's black. But uh, do we support that narrative? Mm. No. He said, you know what, if you're confused on who you're going to vote for, then you must not be black. So we have our blackness question. All right, I guess I'm a fake black man, right? Because I did not vote for a person yeah. who wants to support Planned Parenthood. Yeah. The black community has become the cash cow for Planned Parenthood. It's become its darling, right? And they wanted to use the black minister to deal with the more rebellious members of the community. Mm. I want to raise my hand today and say that I'm a rebel. Yeah, come I'm on. I'm a rebel come for on. Christ. Yeah, come on. I'm a rebel for yeah. the cross. Amen. Amen. Yes. Powerful word. We're not talking about something that happened hundreds of years ago. We're talking about something that is happening today in our cities while we still have our church services. We still have our prayer meetings. We still have our worship nights, and all those things are great. 
But if we're avoiding dealing with the greatest moral issue of our time, then God says, I hate it. Your hands are full of blood. That's what he says in Isaiah chapter one. Go and read it. I encourage you to read that chapter. It's exactly what the church was doing in that time when they were sacrificing children in the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. They still were having great prayer nights, having great worship nights. They were playing church really well while children were being murdered right next door. And we have treated this too casually for too long. It's time for the church to rise up. And that's what tonight is about. We're exposing the deeds of darkness, but we also are calling the church to take action in our cities. We're gonna go to video number two. This video was shot in front of Margaret Sanger's home in Lower Manhattan in New York City. And you're gonna hear again from her own words uh, what she believed and what she wanted to issue into our culture. And you've heard it. it, it's happening. What she started 100 years ago is playing out in our cities today. Let's roll video number two. This is Margaret Sanger, heralded by some as a champion to the women's liberation movement. She's the founder of Planned Parenthood, and sadly, her goal to advance the abortion agenda is still thriving in America today. But is abortion really only about a woman's reproductive rights? Is abortion really about helping women? Is it just a woman's issue and her rights? Is this truly healthcare? Some things never change, do they? It seems like the same issues are here in this era like they were in mine. <laughs> war, war, it, it's always war. No matter what way it is, war always seems to be rearing its wicked head, but, but I believe we can stop that. Yes, I do believe that war can be eradicated if you can control the population, control the numbers, control the power. All these men playing with our wives and lives. They think the one with the toys wins. They think the nation with the biggest population wins. Well, it's time to flip the tables on these men. All these wars and fighting. No, that stops now. You won't tell me or any other woman what to do with our bodies or how many children we can have. We are more than just baby makers. We have hopes and dreams. So many women just wasting away in their homes, popping out one after another. If she doesn't want the baby, she doesn't need to have it. Her body, her choice. Slavery was wrong and we ended it. This is totally different. This is not slavery. The fetus isn't even alive yet. It has no rights. The baby belongs to the mother. She's already putting her life at risk carrying the baby, and she decides what happens with it. A woman is already putting her body at risk carrying the child, so she should be the one who can choose what to do with it. Don't try and twist my words. Look at what we have now. Uneducated, lazy, 
degenerates just having one baby after another. <laughs> one after another and not caring for them. They look to others, relatives, the government to feed them, take care of them, basically parent them. How can somebody do that knowing you're unfit to give your child a good life and yet you still decide to have the child knowing the environment it's going to grow up in? The stupidity. Is it desirable that the unhealthy, the, the unfit, the feeble members of the community propagate their kind and fill the world with their children? And what's even worse is, is knowing that your child is going to be born with a defect and, and you still choose to burden the society. No. That's why we persuade the woman to early abort the child. And, and since it's the duty of every doctor to provide medical assistance and advise women when needed, we are covering more ground and having it be essential that the medical students watch and, and hopefully mandatory that they perform abortions in order to graduate. If you say you're a doctor willing to provide medical assistance to a woman, you must know how to perform an abortion. Women's health and birth control are vital. I may have died, but it seems like my legacy is still alive. I know what history says about me, but what will it say about you? Again, we heard it directly from Margaret Sanger herself, her plan for parenthood. And we, we see a quote in there that I want to, to reiterate. It says that Margaret Sanger wanted to prevent the risk of women dying during labor. On the surface, that seems, seems good, but we must follow it up with the quote that we also just saw in that video, that women who have had an abortion are twice as likely to commit suicide. So the question is, does abortion really help women? We know it doesn't help the child. We know that the child is murdered, but what about the woman? So I wanna ask a woman, I wanna ask Lisa Washington, who has um, her own story in this. As you hear Margaret Sanger, as you hear what she wanted to accomplish, talk about how it has affected you in your life. Um, regarding so my own story, just quickly, um, as you heard, I'm the youngest of nine, and there is a 20-year age difference between me and my oldest sibling. Mm. And my mom's marriage to my dad was difficult. And the reality is, is that she did not want and she didn't intend to have a lot of children. As I said, she used contraception. Contraception failed because God had a, had a different plan for me and my siblings. And the reality is, is that, again, God in his, in his sovereignty and his providence and his goodness to me is that I was, I was conceived and born right before abortion on demand happened in New York City. And so I realized as I was growing up, because my mom actually talked to me about some of these things. She didn't, she didn't tell me these things to be hurtful or cruel. She was just talking to me as a woman 
Um, yes, I was very young and really looking back too young to really know these, these, these deep intricacies of my parents' marriage and the complexities of what she was going through as an adult woman, but she was just sharing honestly, and, and I don't fault her for that. But I do realize that if I had been conceived any later than what I was, the reality is just that I, I might not be here. Wow. And no one would have denied her. She already had wow. eight children. She'd mm -hmm. been having children over 20 years of her life. No one would have denied her that right to have aborted me. But again, God had other plans. And, but the, the complexity of, of being conceived and being born into a situation like this, knowing this as a little girl, it caused me a lot of insecurities. And in my insecurities and my brokenness, I started looking for love in, in all the wrong places, like a lot of young women do. And a part of that broken path meant sexually immoral relationships. And I found myself as a teenage girl, pregnant in high school, um, and beginning to think about now, oh my God, now I have to make a choice. I have to make a decision. And what is so heartbreaking about my decision to ultimately abort is that the very thing that I was so grateful that my mother couldn't do to me is now the very thing that I ended up doing to my own child. Mm. One of the ways that God's grace was, was made manifest to me is that my second oldest sister became a Christian. She prayed for me for nine years. She invited me to church one night and I had an absolute life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ, never wow. ever to be the same. Yeah. And I remember when I went forward to that altar, Jesus told me that if I gave him that broken life, he would mm. give me a new one in return. And Come just then that began the healing, that began the restoration, that began the deliverance. And it happened over a long period of time. You know, you mm. don't lay down and yield your body as an as a instrument of murder and death and think you get up off that table the same. Mm. And again, this played out over 48 hours. So it was deeply, deeply uh, spiritual, very physically intense. Um, I don't have time to get into all the depths of it, but it was such an incredibly traumatic experience. It left me mm. a shell of myself. There is mercy, there is grace, there is forgiveness, but you've got to be convicted and you've got to turn from that regenerate thinking and begin mm -hmm. to agree with what God says. That's right. If you're in Christ, you don't identify as someone who's post-abortive. You're not a post-abortive woman or man. You are a new creation. You are a child of the king. And I just want to, again, encourage those maybe who are hearing this, maybe you've had an abortion in your past. We want to connect you to post-abortive biblical healing and restoration studies in your city. You can go to lovelife.org slash restored life, lovelife.org slash restored life. We would love to connect you in your city confidentially wherever you are to a post-abortive healing Bible study so that you can find that same freedom that Lisa is now walking in. Um, Marco, I want to go to you, brother. I know that you have uh, communicated about this in the past. You have a burden about this issue as a man. Uh, would you just talk about that, about how God is calling for men to rise up? Yeah, definitely. Um, I more so have I've seen this from an angle um, when I get involved in churches and a lot of times now the issue of abortion is, is being mentioned by the pastors. We want to talk about the issue. We don't know how to talk about it with the churches. And it's prevalent. A lot of times, like you said, you were in the building and it was in the community. It's in the cities. It's mm -hmm. in our churches. That's right. It's right here at home. And we don't realize that it's there because we haven't talked about it. We'll talk about taxes. We'll talk about politics. But when it comes to this, it's, it's under the rug. And, and like Lisa shared, like we all know, I mean, a woman doesn't get, there's no, 
Mary, you know, immaculate conceptions. There's a man right. and a woman, that's right. and that's how God created it. It's marriage. It's a gift. It's a blessing. Um, but what we've done is what we've done from the beginning. Adam said, it's not me. It's her. We've <laughs> taken the blame as men, and we now are passing it on. It's not, a, it's not our issue at all. It's women. Yeah. And then when we go to the women, we're, we're as Adam, as descendants of Adam, we are actually leaving our, our women, our wives, our, our daughters, our sisters alone once again to stand mm. in front of God and, and say, we're not mm. going to cover you, although we were called to be a covering. Right. We're not going to protect you, although we were called to protect you. Mm. Everything that God blessed, that mm. he, he, he equipped Adam to do, and now us as sons of Adam have that mantle. Mm -hmm. We are actually running away from it, mm -hmm. and we don't want to stand up and now take responsibility for our mm -hmm. actions. So now it's a woman's issue, her body, her choice. No, it's been our issue from the beginning. We've just decided to run away. And so when God, God literally right now in society, he's saying, men, sons of Adam, where are you? And we're hiding. We're hiding yeah. in the bush. We're hiding in our businesses. We're hiding behind work. We're like, oh, and then when our wives come, girlfriends come, whatever, they come and they say, hey, I'm pregnant. Hey, I have a child. What should I do? Is basically saying, mm -hmm. what are we going to do? And what do we say? Go take care of it. Here's some money. Mm -hmm. Go to the clinic, whatever it is. And it's happening right here. And it's not in our, back, it's not in our backyard. It's in the church. That's right. And I love how Lisa shared um, Paul. He wrote so much, but the scales fell from his mm. eyes. He had to have that moment where the scales came down. And when they came down, mm. just that encounter with Jesus, everything became about the cross. And now he was able to walk. Now, there was a, it didn't, he didn't care if he lost his life. I, I'm going to lose it anyways because I am going to die. You know, but what am I going to live for? And we're talking about life now, just the sanctity of life and Image bearer of God, image bearer of God, image bearer of God. We are God image bearers. We yeah. represent God to the world, but now we're so busy trying to look like the world, the world doesn't know what God looks like anymore because the world is in the church. Mm. And God's saying, stand up, do something. And, and I love just, um, just sharing that. And I, I do use drama, you know, uh, films and media just to share that. But when I get involved in a project, it hits me in a whole nother way. And there's a mm -hmm. deeper root. And God really, he's, he's saying, Marco, what are you doing? So mm -hmm. like, praise God, I was just yeah. married in January. And it just hits me with my wife. And I think I'm like, I'm going to be a dad soon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm going to have children. And I'm gonna, it just, the responsibility is a weighty mantle. Yeah. But God never, ever leaves us alone without the strength to stand under the mantle, mm. to, to carry it. And we're not meant to do it alone. Like men think that we're supposed to just be these, these macho, whatever it is that the world tells us to do, but you have a help meet. You have yeah. family. You have the church body. So like you said, expose the deeds of darkness. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do. Shed the light. Because right now, it is a cancer that's just going through our churches, and, and we see the casualties, but we're too afraid to walk in the anointing that yeah. God has blessed us with to yeah. shed the light, to bring the healing. Mm -hmm. And it won't happen one, one miraculous day, and then you're done, you're healed. No, this is a process, and it's meant to be a process because mm -hmm. that's how I can walk aside. I can walk beside my brother. I can walk beside my sister. But that, and that's what I love that Love Life does. Mm -hmm. When we were filming, um, you'll see it. When we were filming one of the videos, I literally, I didn't know this, but Lisa shared, and she said, you see that girl? She has a plastic bag in her hand. I, I don't know what a plastic bag meant. And that just meant that she actually had the procedure done. That was her belongings in there. And I know we were filming, but it hit me in such a crazy wave. And I was like, God, 
how come I just every Saturday, mm. whenever, Wednesday, whatever weekend, I'm just watching TV. I'm basically living my life. And I think mm. we're supposed to, but what are we doing with our lives? Yeah. So sorry, I digress. Yeah. Go back to just Amen. men, we are supposed to stand up. And if you don't know how to, just first t- take, take the first step. Come out to, you know, a, a love life prayer walk. Raise your hand. God doesn't say come with all the answers. He is the answer. So yeah. he just needs a willing heart. Amen. Amen. And he's looking for men that are willing to rise up. The majority of women that we counsel in front of abortion clinics say they never even would have considered an abortion, never even would have thought about it if the father of the child had simply just said, hey, I'm with you. I know this is an unplanned pregnancy, but I'm with you and we'll figure this thing out. It's time for men to rise up, to be protectors of women and children. Seth, you are national pro-life speaker. I'm sure you get asked this all the time. You know, why are, why are you the national pro-life speaker? You're not a woman. Um, like, what, what voice do you have in this? And speak to that, and then also just the indoctrination that's happening with our children. Right, yeah, thank you, Justin. Yeah, no uterus, no opinion, right? That's right. Yeah, you sexist bigot, Justin. Um, now, of course, I hear this all the time, right? I've been speaking on the issue of abortion since I was 18 or 19. I just turned 30. Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, it's like just so exhausting at this point. You know, it's like we're only in this predicament because men have abdicated their moral and spiritual duty to be a man. And, you know, C.S. Lewis predicted this. Cultural mm. prophet, C.S. Lewis. We need more Lewis type of voices mm. in the country right now. And in his book, The Abolition of Man which I believe he wrote in like 43 or 44. And if you guys Mm. haven't read The Abolition of Man, you need to read it. Mm. The premise of his book is that the head rules the belly through the chest. Mm. So he says that the head is the intellect. It's the rational man. Mm. The belly is the animalistic man, the raw appetite, the part of human beings that say, satisfy me now, Mm. right? Whether it's for sex or food or pleasure. So the chest is virtue and honor. And so C.S. Lewis says, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make Mm. men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. Mm. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Mm -hmm. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Mm. And that's exactly what has happened to the modern man. If you remove chest, which is virtue, honor, morality then the head rules the belly with nothing to temper it in between. Mm, Remove honor and morality. And are human beings good at justifying what we want uh, and coming up with justifications and reasons to do so to satisfy our desires and appetites? Uh, Yeah, that probably drives every decision to sin ever since Eden. Mm -hmm. You remove virtue and honor, you can justify anything you want. Mm -hmm. That's what drives abortion. And so this is, I want to make this point. This is why, by the way, silence might be the most deadly thing on the issue of abortion. Mm. After the forceps that kill the child, silence might be the most deadly thing. So speak Mm. up and speak all the time against abortion. Never let pro-abortion bigotry go by in a conversation without being called as such. Because when the church abdicated their duty and we accepted this Johnson Amendment lie that there's a separation between church and state, people Mm -hmm. who say this have no idea about the founding of America. It was launched by activist preachers who wanted to create liberty and and the ability to worship God freely. When we abdicated that duty and we allowed the left to define the terms of engagement, so when they called slaughtering a million babies a year reproductive justice, and then they said, well, that's a political issue. Hey, you Christians, just preach the gospel. You just keep your liturgy in the church, okay? Don't you bring Mm -hmm. that liturgy out into the public square. You worship Mm -hmm. Jesus in there, then we're fine with it. When we accepted that and said, okay, you're right, we're not political, so now genocide is a political issue, we abdicated the only and 
prophetic voice in the culture that withholds evil and promotes mm -hmm. righteousness. Yep. And America was launched on Judeo-Christian mm -hmm. values. So even pre-sexual revolution, pre-Roe versus Wade, mm -hmm. you may not have had like 70, 80% of Americans as born again believers, but they were still mm -hmm. functioning off of a morality that right. they were borrowing from the Christian worldview. And this is what keeps evil in check is the family, the smallest political unit. Well, what happens when the leader of the family, the smallest political unit, is a man without a chest? Mm. Well, then you get abortion. Then you get exactly where mm. we are at now. And so that's why it's so important for the church, which men are supposed to be leading, to speak up and speak all the time mm -hmm. by reminding people that truth, liberty, life is not man's idea, it's God's idea. And mm. we're going to give an account one day to the king of kings, the greatest former fetus who have ever existed, who entered human history right. in the uterus to redeem mankind from their sins for what we did not or did not do on this genocide. Come on, come on. Time to speak up. Let's go. Great word, man. Again, we see what Sanger wanted to eliminate. She wanted to eliminate people of color, people of disabilities, uh, people that she thought were unfit to live. And in her book, she would have said that you were unfit to live. You're missing arms, if, if those that are watching can't tell. Uh, but would you speak to that? As a man who is married, who has children, and, and not even that any of that honestly even matters, you're made in the image of God, but tell your story uh, to the people to hear. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, just just within the, the frame of of what Sanger held to, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a life that shouldn't be, I'm a, I'm a life that's less than, and, you know, as, as much as Sanger held to that and defended that and, um, you know, pursued dis disabled men and women being, being sterilized in her day, just as much that, that undercurrent is, is, is present today. Right. And I mean, you know, when, when I was born in the 80s, I was, I was born without arms, and then I was born not breathing, and, and as the doctor held me in the delivery room, there, were, there was no, no celebration, no, no excitement. It was mm. just, he held me up so dad could see that I didn't have arms. And then he asked my father, do you want us to let him go? Because again, you know, Sanger's whole philosophy, if, if we're not like you, then we don't deserve the same opportunities as you. We don't deserve the same life as you. But I'm, I'm incredibly thankful that I think yeah. with that, that question hanging over the delivery room that, that day, that my dad said, no, that's my son. Yeah, and and you're going to do whatever it is that you come can on. do to try to bring him back. And man, by God's grace, it's like in, in that room that day, God called me from death to life. In, in, in just a physical sense, and to know yeah. that, that years later, by his grace, he calls me from death to life spiritually, and to watch what God has done with a life that the world said, why bother? Mm. What's the point? God has taken a life that the world said, why bother? What's the point? And, and he's allowed me to, to make my, my feet become my hands, to do all the things that the doctors and, and orthopedists said I would never do. Yeah. Um, man, to, to have a beautiful wife of 15 years, a, a kid, a, a, an oldest son that's nine, a sweet little girl that's six, and, and man, to have a ministry that tells about hope that comes apart from what we look like or what we do. Man, I, I love how, how the grace of God a lot of times just takes what man thinks and, man, he yeah. just dumps it upside down. Come on, man. He celebrates your life and how God is using you. But I know you want this, as we all do. We want your testimony, all the testimonies you're hearing up, up here today, to inspire the church to take action, to inspire the church to be a voice for those who have no voice. Uh, I wanted to share a quick story of my, myself. My wife 
uh, she has an older sister who had the George syndrome, and, which is very similar to Down syndrome. It's one cr- chromosome off of Down syndrome. And uh, her name is Sarah. She passed away, unfortunately, a few years ago, but she was one of the longest living um, humans with DeGeorge syndrome, passed away at the age of 33. And you know, to the rest of the world, they would have said she had no value. She didn't contribute to society. Um, she she was about, had the mind of about a three-year-old or four-year-old, but let me tell you that Sarah helped influence my wife. Sarah helped influence so many that she was around. Her favorite thing was McDonald's coffee. And when she saw the, the, the big McDonald's sign, man, she lit up like she just hit the jackpot. And just that simple joy, or if you gave her a pen, she was a big pen collector. If you gave her a pen, it's like you just gave her a million dollars. And I, I would come home from work and think that I have all these issues and all these challenges in my own life, and she would bring so much joy into our home. She helped shape the compassion that my wife Jennifer now has for our four children and others in our community. And so we celebrate people like Sarah, people like you, Daniel, and so many others around the nation. We must celebrate what God has created. Uh, We're gonna roll now to video number three. Video three is gonna take us right in front of the abortion clinic in New York City in lower Manhattan. This abortion center used to have the name of Margaret Sanger on the building. It used to be called the Margaret Sanger Center. It's the largest abortion center in New York City, and one of the largest in the nation. They since have removed her name from the building, but her name is still on the street, as you are going to see in this video. Let's roll video three. Ever wonder what it would be like if you could have a conversation with a historical figure, especially with one whose decisions have so hugely impacted our society in such a tremendous way? What would Margaret Sanger have to say about the legacy she left behind, and would we truly still support organizations such as Planned Parenthood if we knew why they were founded and what their true agenda is? Is her legacy still alive? Let's find out. Here. She's standing in front of the Planned Parenthood Clinic in New York City. It is now no longer called the Margaret Sanger Clinic, though. Well, looks like some things have changed here. This building used to have my name on it. I can understand why Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, Woodrow Wilson's names and statues have been removed, but mine? Really? Oh, you think I'm racist because of the things I said and wrote? Let's clarify that lie. I'm not racist. What I believe and do is completely different. I'm here to help the colored people who often don't know any better. That's why I founded Planned Parenthood, to help 
all those in need, not just black women, all women, all races. Yes, I started the Negro Project and said, we do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. What I meant by that was, look, I'm helping the black community. Yes, I do believe that large families and poverty go hand in hand. I'm living proof of that. There were 11 of us. Case in point, look at the black community. What do you see? Large families. What else do you see? Poverty. It's true in my time and I'm sure it's true in yours. The more children one has, the more mouths to feed. I believe that birth control should be available for every woman. I've seen too much senseless death, women dying from $5 back alley botched abortions. Now we have clean facilities to perform these abortions and women walk away safe and alive rather than dying. Instead of two deaths, we now have one, the child's. We strategically place clinics in low-income areas to help the women who would be dying either way. And yes, to also keep the numbers of certain types of people lower. We can't have defective children burdening our society. Doctors have discovered that at 10 weeks, we can detect if a child has Down syndrome. And let's be truthful. <laughs> The quality of life of a baby born with Down syndrome is much lower than a child born normally. They will have to depend on their family most, if not all, of their lives, and they will not be able to function as normally in society. So, doctors and medical staff strongly urge mothers to consider abortion rather than carrying this child to full term. Some say that we pressure mothers into having an abortion. I would rather say we advise them into considering one. Wouldn't you want to know if your child was going to have a life-burdening disability? And know that you have the option of saving them from a life of consequences and being born dependent and needy on others their entire lives. As a matter of fact, let's ask this expectant mother now. Excuse me, miss, I hate to pry, but I am Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and I, I wondered what brought you into our clinic today. Uh, I am considering having a midterm abortion. I'm sure that was a very difficult decision, but I know that you have valid reasons. Hi, um, I couldn't help but to overhear. Are you planning to go into Planned Parenthood because you're thinking about a midterm abortion? Yes. Okay, before you go any further, I just wanted to take a quick minute to tell you that God really loves you. And he Excuse loves me, you are overstepping your boundaries. You. Don't, don't, don't feel cold. No, you're overstepping your boundaries. This is an actual baby that God has blessed her with to conceive and to care for. He has a wonderful purpose and a plan for this child's life, and that plan is not for this child to be destroyed. Her body, her choice. Maybe she comes from a low-income family. Maybe she has no one to help Maybe her. Maybe you should stop negatively influencing her. I do understand where you're coming from. I've been there myself. But what I know now that I didn't know then is that God is able to help her and any mother if they would just put their trust in him. He has set before every person the choice for life and the choice for death and always wants us to choose life. 
Plus there are organizations like Love Life, there are churches in this city that are willing to help you, to come alongside you, to support you and your child even up until two years. We can even talk to you about foster care and adoption if that's an option that you want to explore. You but abortion is never the answer. You don't need to listen to any of this. You've made the right choice. Actually, I would like to get some more information about the help you're talking about. Well, I have never in all of my life been treated with such disrespect as the founder of this clinic. Margaret Sanger Square. I like the ring of it. They wouldn't put the name of a racist person on a square. You can take my name off a building, but you can't take my legacy out of society. can take my name off a building, but you can't, can't take my legacy out of a society. Friends, Margaret Sanger's vision is still being played out in our cities today. It is happening right here in our backyards. The leading cause of death in our communities is not cancer, is not heart disease, is not gang violence. The leading cause of death is abortion. What she started 100 years ago is still wreaking havoc in our city, cities and in our communities here in America and around the world. Over 60 million children have been murdered in the womb here in America since 1973 and billions globally. This is happening in our time. It's not something that happened hundreds of years ago. It's happening in our times. We say no longer in our cities, yes. no longer on our watch, yes. will we be silent. Yes. Will you join us, church? Yes. This is our time. This is our hour to use our influence, to use our voice. Yes. Miss Veronica is using her voice. She is a Love Life missionary here in Charlotte. Uh, Veronica from Nicaragua. Uh, again, you were somebody else that Sanger would like to eliminate, but we're gonna celebrate tonight. You've been a part of... Yeah, you've been a part of many conversations like we just saw in that last video of moms that are about to walk into those abortion centers. You've seen moms make the choice for life. Just speak to that, speak to your, your time in front of an abortion center. Yeah, I think that definitely every woman that walks into an abortion center knows exactly what she's doing. At mm. that point, it doesn't really matter what society is telling you. The fact that a baby is a clump of cells, the fact that, that uh, there's no heartbeat, the fact that it's not a living being. Every woman that is walking mm. into an abortion clinic, they know what is happening. There is 
a God out there, that God has given us a conscience, and that conscience is speaking. Whether the woman is expressive about it or not, whether she has decided to express her conviction negatively or or even mask it with the, all these this false positivity that is going on in the mm-hmm. society today, every single woman knows. Mm-hmm. And so we have all kinds of women that walk into the abortion clinic. We have some women that will not speak to us, but we do call out to every single woman. Right. And I think that it is my responsibility as a Latina woman to speak to these women right. because right. Margaret Singer wanted to eliminate my population. And that is exactly what I tell Latina women, you know? Mm-hmm. And there are, I have never seen a woman that has mm-hmm. chosen life that comes back to me and says, I have regretted my decision. Come on. Never have I seen that. I, listen, I'm not here to say parenthood is easy. Mm-hmm. I'm not. A parenthood is difficult. I've mm-hmm. never heard, even for my friends that are married, that have, have, have had children of their own, none of them have said to me, hey, you know, we, we're pregnant, we got this. None of them has said that to me, okay? <laughs> but we have to understand that there is a God out there mm-hmm. and that that God, if that God has chosen to create a life, he will sustain that life, he will see for that life, and he will give us the strength to care for that life. And I think that it's interesting that in this society, we are so obsessed with the idea of poverty. Margaret Sanger spoke about poverty, spoke about the fact that we can't have big families. But then there's one population, one group that I kind of want to point out that nobody talks about, that it has had a lot of children. And that is actually Slavs, the Eastern European population. During the time of the USSR, Eastern Europeans, the way they survived communism was by having more children. Because what they did is that they put the children to work. They worked the land, and through that, they became a little more self-sustaining. They depended on their crops, on their milk, and and they depended on on selling that food, but also using that food to to feed their own children as well. But it, it... I studied economics, so to me, I just think input versus output, right? Yeah, yeah. So to them, it was, if we have more children, we have more workers. Mm-hmm. And that's why mm-hmm. this, this, the Slavic population has had many children, and that's why they, they were able to survive throughout the USSR. Wow. Another thing is that, just going off of the topic of Black Lives Matter, we, the Black Lives Matter organization doesn't support the family unit. That's right. It is an economic fact that a two-parent household will perform better financially than a one-parent household. And so by us saying, hey, this is the woman's problem. This is the woman's choice. This is, oh, it's, it's her child. We are removing the father and we are removing not just an amazing influence that this child could have in, in his or her upbringing, but we are also removing that financial aspect mm. as well. Mm. And I think, I almost think it's we use, well, not we, but the, the world, this ideology uses this idea of poverty as, as, a, as a false narrative, as a false excuse. Yes. Because at the end of the day, 
I mean, if, if the Black Lives Matter organization were so concerned about getting the black population into a different economic status, wouldn't they support a two-parent household? That's right. Wouldn't they stop voting for politicians that have kept fathers out of the house? That's right. Come on. And so it, it's, it's difficult to talk to women sometimes outside of the abortion clinic because a lot of the times, 70% of them are being pressured to get an abortion a lot of the times by the fathers of their own child. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I have to yeah. say. But uh, I, I think that the family unit is, is extremely important. It was God designed. It yeah. wasn't designed by man. And I think we need to go with God designs. Come and on. I think Amen. too, when we, you can look this up actually, the World Economic Forum has a, I guess like a happiness happiness rank, and so they have a rank of, of the happiest countries in the world. And, mm. and some of them are countries in Latin America. Why? Because Latin America is very strong in the family unit. Yeah. We love families. We love big families. Come on. I, I, my whole upbringing wasn't just my mom and my dad and my siblings. Yeah. It was my grandparents and my aunts and my cousins, mm. and we love that. And whether mm. you have a small or a big family, that is something that has to be cherished. That's something that has to be enjoyed. That's right. And why? Not because we invented it, but because it was a God design. Come on. Amen. 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 That is all a part of God's plan for parenthood, right? God made family even before he made the church. We don't know where the next George Floyd situation is going to take place. We don't know where the next school shooting is going to take place, but we can give you the addresses and the times of where innocent humans are scheduled to die in our cities. These are the unreached mission fields of America, and it's time for them to be the reached mission fields of America, where we take the hope of the gospel and the help of the local church. I want you to watch this story of a mom that was showing up for an abortion in Southern California at her local abortion center. It actually happened to be a Planned Parenthood, and you will hear it in her own words. I'm not going to tell her whole story. You have to see it for yourself, but remember this quote when you, when you hear it. I was looking for hope. Let's roll this video of Alicia. I didn't know who Christ was until almost three years ago. It was something that I believed in, but I didn't have a passion about being pro-life and standing for babies. Day and age that we're living in and all the turbulent times going on right now, uh, that wasn't a time to be a Christian that was sitting on the bench. I learned about Love Life in February, at the end of February. I started volunteering and going out there on the sidewalk. January 24th of 2021 is when we first started Love Life in here in Southern California. We went to our boot camp training in February. It was like, well, let's, <laughs> let's do it. So I walk up and there's nobody on the sidewalk. And I say, Lord, okay, there's only five more minutes left. And I ran over really quick and this young, beautiful woman rolls down her window about this much <laughs> and she said yes and I looked at her and I smiled and I said I don't know what you are here for but if you have missed your menstrual cycle your baby has a heartbeat 10 fingers and 10 toes and I can show you what your baby looks like today when I was young I had an abortion I was 21 I was pregnant the second time I 
had a miscarriage and I was devastated because I really wanted to keep the baby. And sitting there in the ultrasound with her, I told her she gave me a present that no money could ever compare. It was a blessing to see a baby on an ultrasound because I didn't get that on my first. And I got to hear a heartbeat because I never found one with my second baby. It was a Thursday and I said, tomorrow is Good Friday. Would you like to go to church with me on Easter? And she said, yeah, that would be nice. We went to church, we sat together, and at the very end when Pastor Jack did the altar call, it was so beautiful. She got up, a woman I just met about a week in front of an abortion clinic is now choosing not only life for her baby, but eternity with the Lord. I found out that I was pregnant at three months. I already had in my head, like, I wanted someone to change my mind or give me some type of hope or something before I go in there. I was just, like, so excited. Like, I just wanted to tear up a little bit. I was just so happy to see a life moving in me. I just knew in my heart that I was keeping her. Because that day, like, I called everyone. I was like, I'm keeping my baby. I don't care what anyone thinks, I'm keeping her. <laughs> Receiving a, a text message that not only was a baby saved, but a, a mom is now a part of the family of God. I remember when Anna called and told me, and her, I think her exact words were, it was an amazing day of grace. We had a, a gender reveal party for her. We had a baby shower for her. The word got to me that she's being baptized by Pastor Jack. And, and she, wa she wants you to be there, to be a part. It's a, t a moment I'll never forget. As she came out of the water, just the laughter and, and realized, thank you, Jesus. Were we just a part of like a miracle, a life being saved? And then more stories start happening and more women start getting saved. This happened last week and this happened yesterday. In Riverside, in Corona. I pray to the God of heaven and earth, watch him work, and then we will see revival in our land. I pray that love life will spread faster than the wildfires we have here in California. And I want it to be a revival. God calls us to do things that we think are impossible because God wants to stretch you. He wanted to stretch me. You see God start to change your life, even if you're not looking for it. Lord is moving her. He is using her. She's even actually gone out and is now counseling and trying to encourage other girls to keep their babies. I know God is moving in her life and he's not gonna stop. Just looking at baby names, I see Namara and I'm like, oh, I never, that's a nice name. It also means grace of God. So I was just like, oh, she's my little grace of God. So that's why I chose her name. I don't want to just have these beautiful young women at these clinics choose life for their baby. I want to walk in life with them. And this is why Love Life has just changed me. But I know the Lord's hands is in it because he's changed my heart a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Come on, can we praise King Jesus for that incredible testimony. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in lives across the nation. Uh, Alicia is one of now over 3,000 families that have made the choice for life 
at the abortion clinics. These are families that showed up for scheduled abortions and have made the choice for life. I love that story because it really encapsulates so much of what love life is about. It's about activating the church. We don't want to build a culture where people run to love life for the answer. We want to see people run to the local church, activating the greatest organism on the face of the planet, which is the local church. Matthew 16, 18 tells us that gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so I love this story as we see a life that is saved and, and, and we see a mom that is now impacted and is now a part of the family of God. But also I love it because we see the story of Anna. We see the story of Jess and Sean and, and Ron and all of these different believers that have been encouraged to get off the bench and to get into the game. And that's what we want to encourage you to do now. You know, there's a phrase that really struck me when I walked through the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. a few years ago. It's a phrase that was used over and over throughout that museum. And the phrase is opposition without action. Opposition without action. You see, there's a lot of people that opposed Hitler philosophically, but had no action behind it. So brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you is that you can't just say I'm pro-life and give it lip service. We must take action about the greatest moral issue of our time. First John 3, 16 through 18 says this, this is how you know what love is. We have to bring it back to that because the world has corrupted the word love. This is how you know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, not just with words or tongue, not just with talk, but with action and in truth. Church, it's time for us to take action. So very simply, this is what I'm calling you to do. Number one, pray. We need you to pray. We understand this is a spiritual battle that must be fought with spiritual weapons. You can join our prayer team where we're taking different segments throughout the day, 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, you know, either daily or weekly or monthly, whatever your schedule allows. We want you to join our prayer team. We want to see that all, the whole 24-hour cycle, seven days a week, covered with prayer warriors across this nation and around the world. We need the body of Christ praying and crying out. 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, talking to the church, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. We desperately need healing in the land today, church. And it comes after the church lives out repentance. As John the Baptist said, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So we don't just pray a prayer of repentance, but we actually take action. That is what real repentance is. So we pray, but we don't stop with prayer. I'm asking you also to give. Give generously of your finances, your resources. If that's $10 a month or $40 a month or whatever that number is, I'm telling you, business leaders, it's time for us to leverage our influence, but to leverage our resources just like it was 1943. What would be our responsibility? Well, let me tell you, today is 1943. It just looks different. It's got a different mask on it. It has a different name. But the reality is that we are living in a time amongst the greatest holocaust in the history of the world. We must be praying people. We must be generous people. But we must also give of our time. And that is number three. And I'm asking us to do all three. 
We can do all three. We can pray, we can give, and we can serve. We can give time. Maybe you can serve on the sidewalks, like Veronica does, like many people do up here, to be a voice for the voiceless. Maybe you can serve as a mentor. You can serve as an orphan care family, either fostering or adopting. We are called to care for the orphans in the womb and the orphans outside of the womb. But this is week 40 for us, so I'm calling everybody to come out to the prayer walk this Saturday. If you're in one of our 15 cities, be there. Be a part of this. This is an incredible moment for the church to come together as the body of Christ. And if you're not in one of those cities, get to it. And if you can't, then this, I wanna encourage you with this. Show up anyway to your local abortion clinic. You don't have to have love life there. There's nothing magical about love life. We're just believers showing up to the dark places and letting our light shine. Show up and pray. Show up. Find, Google your local abortion clinic in your city or you can go to lovelife.org America and you can find them. We have a list of them all there. We have locations on a map. Lovelife.org America. It's time for the church to be present. We can no longer be silent. We can no longer be deceived. We must be present. That was the title of one of our pastors, Pastor Lee Stokes, his message as he stood in front of his people, challenging his people. He has a church right next door to an abortion clinic, and they had been silent for 10 years. And he said, no longer am I going to be silent. No longer am I going to be deceived. And we are going to be present. And he mobilized his people, and God did a miracle. He shut that abortion clinic down that day. Yes, the power went off in the building. Three moms made the choice for life. His power right next door was good. This is what happens when the church lives out repentance. Church, this is our time. Thank you all for joining us. We encourage you again to be a part of the prayer walk this Saturday. And I echo what my sister prayed. We love because he first loved us. That is our motivation. Our motivation is not the sin of abortion, but the beauty of Jesus. God bless you guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to that incredible episode, film, and conversation. I hope it blessed you. Hey, as I tell you, sometimes we talk about things on this show that, frankly, most pro-lifers are ignorant about. How much more do you think the culture of death and the pro-abortion advocates are ignorant to these realities? Sure, this film will you. This will be on Love Life's YouTube channel. It'll be on my YouTube channel. It'll be on Facebook as well. You're going to want to share this film. If you were listening audibly, um, obviously you heard uh, Margaret Sanger speaking, but of course you missed some of the visuals that you're really going to want to get. So head on over to YouTube, subscribe to my channel there, subscribe to Love Life. You can get this film on Love Life's website as well, and my own YouTube channel. Share the film with some friends. Uh, talk about it. Let's start exposing some of Sanger's uh, bigotry worldview ideas and what they're doing to our country today. Hey, if you appreciated this and this podcast has helped you, would you consider becoming a patron of the show? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted. That's patreon.com forward slash unaborted. Uh, we have big plans in the future for unaborted. Uh, different types of content, more types of content, as well as more exciting guests on the show as well. Your help helps us increase the production value, expand the reach of the show, create more types of diverse content, and have bigger guests on the show as well. So head on over there and you'll get some cool perks and tiers that you can pick from as a thank you for supporting the show. If you're in California, frankly, if you're not, but especially if you are, you're not going to want to miss Love Life California 2022 on January 29th at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills with Kurt Cameron, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Melissa Odin, Dr. Anthony Levitino, the former abortionist, myself, 
myself and many others to take back life, to give you a game plan and send you home educated, encouraged, and equipped to engage the left's greatest sacrament, to take it from them and to begin taking back spiritual ground. And it all starts here in California. So go to lovelifecalifornia.org. That's lovelifecalifornia.org. Get tickets while they're still available. Plan to make it a weekend trip. All right, come on down to Chino Hills in Southern California. If you're elsewhere in the country or world, go buy some live stream tickets. Okay, we're live streaming the conference. You're not going to want to miss the main stage sessions in particular. All righty, that's all I got for you today. Share this episode. Give us a rating and review, and we'll catch you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Thank <laughs> you.